evening. Thank you. You're a hard crowd already. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 119, please. Announcement for you ladies. Ladies, please sign the Christmas cards on the usher's table so that we can send them to the missionary wives. Thank you. That is from Mrs. Leggett. So, ladies, would you please do that? And find your place in Psalm 119. And told you I've just sort of been going through some psalms for myself. And, and you know Psalm 119 as the Word of God psalm. And I started to do a little bit of study in here. And we're going to take some time um, over the next, I don't know, however long it takes. And sort of work our way through Psalm 119. And I was blessed today, well, in the reading through of this psalm and um, reminded again of, of what the Word of God will do in a person's life who chooses to live their life according to the principles and precepts of God's Word. And that its promises are sure, and that God says, if you do this, then I'm going to do this in your life. And that is a blessing uh, when you have the promises of God that are sure. And, and we, we miss the boat sometimes. We, we search and we try for all of these things to try to bring happiness into our life. And we're looking in all the wrong places. And God says, you'll be happy if you do this. And, and God knows this because God made us. Amen? And it's incumbent upon us to be in alignment and agreement with Him. Psalm 119, well, we're not going to read all of the verses in Psalm 119 tonight. It's going to be a long sermon, uh, so get ready. You know. um, but I'm going to look at the first eight verses. We're not even going to get through all of those tonight. But let's go ahead and just read those, and then I'm going to say some introductory things, and then we'll, we'll break some of it down. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes. O forsake me not utterly. Now, we look at Psalm 119, and if you look at the heading as we have with others of the Psalms that we've looked at, there is there's no author that's given here. And many of them say it's a Psalm of David or a Psalm of Asaph or or whatever, but Psalm 119 doesn't have uh, uh, an author assigned to it. And so we don't know who wrote this psalm. What we do know about it is that it is the Word of God psalm. And, and it's all about uh, the, the command of the Lord, and we'll talk more about that as we go along here. But some people have suggested that this was a psalm of David. Others say that it was Hezekiah. Some say that it was some of the prophets, maybe Jeremiah, Nehemiah, or Malachi. And some even say that it was Daniel. And they all have their reasons for why they think that particular person might have been the author of this psalm. What we find from the content 
of Psalm 119, though, is that whoever wrote this psalm seemed to be a saint who was suffering at times, who had to endure some contempt in his life and maybe even sometimes endure some downright ill treatment. You get that idea from some of the stanzas of Psalm 119. He talks about some of the, even some of the enemies that he would have had would have been, uh, including the Jews, maybe some who were in positions of power who could do him some harm in his life. These are some of the things that you pick up on as you read through Psalm 119. There were times when this psalmist made it clear that he was in physical danger and potentially spiritual danger. But there's also many times when the psalmist indicates that he had successfully resisted temptation in his life. There are some commentators who make a strong case that whoever this author was, was somebody who lived after the exile of the nation of Israel. And part of the reason they make that argument is because there's no mention of the temple or of ritual law in this psalm. There's no mention of anything that was inherently Jewish uh, in this psalm. Rather, there's a, a great emphasis on the inward spiritual aspects of faith, God's law in the heart. And it might point to somebody like Daniel then, the prophet Daniel being the author, rather than somebody like Hezekiah or another post-exilic writer. But in their day, in those after the exile, in their day, the Hebrew religion, it was centered around the sanctuary, it was centered around the sacrifices and the Mosaic law. But the central theme of Psalm 119 is clearly God's word or the word of God or the God's law in the heart. And so I think it's a very interesting thought and a very interesting point. The psalmist, when you read through Psalm 119, the word of God's psalm, you don't ever find that he saw God's law as something that was harsh, like an edict coming down from on high. That's not the impression that you get. Rather, you, you see him talking about God's law as a source of joy and a source of rejoicing for the heart. There's no sense of, of cold, legalistic, ritualistic keeping of the Mosaic law, but rather you see the warmth of somebody who is deeply in love with the Lord. I think that's awesome. When, and you'll see some of that as we walk through it. And like Jesus said, when you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And that's exactly what the idea you get behind the psalmist who writes in Psalm 119. He talks about the commands of God from a place that is, 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 is full of love, not edicts that come down and harsh commands that come from on high or from a king. Or even like the Jews practiced the keeping of the Mosaic law, cold and ritualistic and, and so on. One commentator said this, he said, we have the passion of a poet. Here is the law transfigured by love, demands elevated to desire, edicts replaced by emotion, fact matched with fervor, enforcement made easy because of enjoyment. In other words, what he's saying is the psalmist loved the law of the Lord and it was easy for him to obey because of a heart of love. The Word of God is the foundation on which the writer builds, and he builds on it because he clearly loves God's Word, God's law. 
He was bound to the Word of God, but not by chains of law, rather the magnetic attraction of love. You know what? That's the way it ought to be for the saint of God. We ought to love the Lord and love His Word. And when we love God, we're going to keep His commandments. Amen? So, we don't know who the author is, but we know that he loves God and he loves the law of the Lord. The format of Psalm 119 is also interesting. This psalm, as most Bibles would show, is an acrostic. I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's an acrostic. It consists of 22 stanzas, each one consisting of eight verses. And if you break all the sections of Psalm 119 down, you see that there's eight verses in every section, and it's a stanza, okay? Each of those stanza emphasizes, in order, a letter of the Hebrew. And every stanza begins with the letter that it represents. And that's how the uh, Psalm 119 is broken down. You can see as an example, our first one at the top, you see Aleph. If you look down in verse 9, before verse 9, you see B-E-T-H, Beth. And these are letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and in every eight verses you find each section, and that's a stanza. And that's how it's broken down. And that's the format. Psalm 19, the theme, as I've hinted at already, the theme of the psalm is the law of God. And I don't know if you've ever counted or not, uh, but I went through today and was looking at this, the law of God is referred to 170 in 173 of the 176 verses in Psalm 119. The law of God is, is talked about in 173 of the 176 verses. What's also interesting is that God himself is mentioned in every single verse of Psalm 119. I think you get the idea of what the direction Psalm 119 is going in. God is referred to in every verse. And the psalmist, he uses eight synonyms for the Word of God. You'll find, as we walk through, you'll find words like the law, God's law, or a word like instruction, for example. The word instruction, when you see it, it's the same uh, Hebrew word as law, so they're interchangeable. It's used 24 times in Psalm 119. You'll find the word testimonies. It's used 19 times. You'll find precepts. That's used 20 times. You'll find statutes 19 times. Commandments 22 times. Judgments or decisions 22 times. The word, W-O-R-D, 22 times. Or promises 20 times. All of these are synonyms for the Word of God. And you'll find them over and over and over again. The Psalms, this Psalm's emphasis on the Word or the Word of God points us directly to the Word who was made flesh. And many of the verses that we're going to read, the best way to understand them is to relate them directly to the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to make some of those applications tonight. And you're going to see some of that. And we're going to find again and again in our study, that the best illustration for us to understand the, the depth of these psalms is Jesus Christ Himself, who was the Word made flesh. So we read these first eight verses, and this first stanza, if you will, is going to show us what will happen in the life of those who make the Word of God the center of their life. And we're going to see that 
The Word of God as the center of a person's life is going to make a happy man. Secondly, is going to make a holy man. And thirdly, it's going to make a humble man. And those are the three things that we're going to find in these first eight verses. A happy man, a holy man, and a humble man. We'll not get through all of those tonight, but we're going to consider the first one for sure. And let's pray and ask the Lord uh, to bless His Word tonight. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for Your Word. Thankful that You've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness in it. I'm thankful that it's a light to our path. I'm thankful, Lord, that the Word of God is a mirror that shows us what manner of men we are. The Word of God is a balm to the soul. It's a comfort to the broken heart. Uh, Lord, the Word of God is all that we need in this life. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you've given it to us because it tells us of you. It shows us the character of God, the love of God, the kind of God that you are. And Lord, that you're set apart and you're holy and you're righteous and you're just and you're loving and you're merciful and you're kind and you're gracious. And Lord, we know all of the things that we know about you because of what you've revealed in your word. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you've given it to us. And as we study through Psalm 119, I pray, Lord, that you challenge us and increase our love for the word of God. And Lord, help us to align our life with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verses 1 through 3, and we're going to see that the Word of God, what happens in the life of a person who makes the Word of God the center of their life? First of all, you're going to, we find that he's a happy man. In verse 1, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Why do we say that the man who makes the Word of God the center of his life is a happy man? Well, he's a happy man because the Word of God rules in three areas of his life. First of all, we find that the Word of God rules in the ways of his life. Verse 1 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way. The word way there is a word that's used 13 times in this psalm, and it's a word that suggests a course of conduct that is marked out by God's Word. It talks about a road that we travel as a way of life. It talks about a course that is mapped out for us by the law of God. And so the psalmist says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Those who have a course for their life that is undefiled. We can make, listen, we can make our journey through life along one of two ways. We can walk through life on the broad way of disobedience or living according to the light of my own eyes and my own understanding. And the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We can walk the, the road of life according to my own way, a way that seems right unto me. Or we can walk the narrow way of obedience, a way that leads onward and upward to life everlasting. That's the way that the psalmist has chosen. He says, blessed are, they, are who, or blessed are the undefiled in the way. Now, the picture that most 
of the world and unsaved people, or even sometimes backslidden Christians, you'd have to wonder if they're even truly saved people or not. But the picture that they would paint of the Christian life most often is one of gloom, one that's boring, one that's oppressive, a life that's lived where you can't have any fun. I mean, you know, you can't drink, and you can't gamble, and you can't smoke, and you can't party, and the Christian life is sort of just like all prayer meetings and Bible conferences and church that's bleh, full of boring sermons, dull people, and dead music. That's kind of the picture that some would paint of the Christian life. A life that's dull. Life you can't have any fun. You have to follow all the rules. Ever heard anybody kind of paint that picture before? I used to think that before I was saved. Amen? That's kind of how the Christian life is painted out. Not any fun. But when you live out in the world, I would ask the question, how fun is it to get a sexually transmitted disease? How fun is it to be hooked on drugs or alcohol and never be satisfied in your life? How fun is that to have to keep going back over and over again to the thing that will kill you because it never satisfies? How fun is that? I did that too before I was saved. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man who chooses the way that is undefiled. We think of Daniel who refused to defile himself with the king's meat. We think of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is holy and harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. And the psalmist says, blessed is the man who chooses that road of life. The word blessed in the Hebrew is a plural. And the word means happy, but it literally means happy, happy. Or, oh, the happiness says, it's full over and over and over again. A life that is undefiled, a life that follows after, as the psalmist says, who walks in the law of the Lord. Happy, happy is that man who has made the word of God the center of his life. Happiness is the overflow of joy. Joy is the source of... Happiness is the stream, but joy only comes from the Holy Spirit of God. That is why an unsaved person can never know real happiness. They may say they're happy, but the devil has his counterfeits. And those counterfeits are mostly based in pleasures that appeal to the flesh That's why they have to keep going back again and again and again, because it's so shallow. There's no depth. There's no well to go to. And the world, and sometimes even Christian people, tend to equate happiness. Now, pay attention here, because you might fall into this category. The world, and sometimes even Christian people, tend to equate happiness with pleasure. Like, I want to have fun, and that makes me happy when I'm having fun. Or they might equate it with prosperity. I would be happy if I had this or that. Or I would be happy if I made this much money. 
Or maybe it's power or position. I'm happy when I'm the boss and I'm the one in control. Or popularity. I'm happy when people like me. I'm unhappy when they don't. You understand that? What do you equate happiness to? What is it that comes to your mind when you think of being happy? God equates happiness to none of those things. It's not pleasure. It's not prosperity. It's not power or position or or popularity. It's none of those things. And so the opening words of Psalm 119, they strike an important note for us. Because we'd all say that we want to be happy. No one likes to be unhappy. And maybe there are some who don't feel happy about things in life right now. The question is, what are we looking to as the source of happiness? You understand? We need to understand that there is no overflowing joy without holiness. It's not found in pleasures of the flesh. That pleasure is but for a season, and it's over. There is no happiness without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, the rule of God in the heart through the Word of God in a person's life. In other words, what the psalmist is saying here is that, (coughs) excuse me, the secret to happiness is simply to live according to the principles found in God's Word. You say, well, I do live by the principles of God's Word and I'm not happy. A lot of times what we consider living by the principles of God's Word are external things. Meaning that I don't do this out in the world and I don't have that in my life and I don't do this and I don't do that. And we often forget about the internal things and the attitudes of the heart. Sometimes people don't find happiness and they don't sense or feel a sense of happiness and they say, well, I am living by the principles of God's Word. But what about all the things that, that, that relate to Uh, the interpersonal relationships that we have? And what about all the things that relate to, uh, you know, to, to my own relationship with God? Not just all the externals that I do and don't do. There's lots of principles in God's Word that relate to the inward man of the heart and also relate to my brother and my sister out there. And those things so often are not lived by and therefore we're missing. We're missing a huge element because we're not walking according to the law of the Lord. The supreme example of the happy, happy man is, of course, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the life that Jesus lived? He walked this earth, right? He was a man, had all the feelings, all the emotions, all the things that we did. And yet the Bible says that he was without sin. Jesus had interpersonal relationships. Jesus lived among men. But I can't imagine Jesus being miserable in his Christian life. I can't imagine Jesus sulking or out of sorts like I am so often. I can't imagine Jesus being gloomy or pessimistic. When you think of Jesus, do you think of that? Like, do you think that's things that he lived through and walked through? 
But you know what? You and I, we're gloomy, we're pessimistic, we're sulky, we're out of sorts, and sometimes we're just plain miserable. But you know what? The Christian who is not living according to the law of God is absolutely going to be miserable. And they have to try to find, quote, happiness from some other source. When we live according to the light of our own eyes, listen, and not the commands of Scripture, there will not be happiness in the Christian life. In fact, Jesus, he even went to Calvary. And the Bible says that he looked beyond the cross to the joy that was set before him. And he endured that, despising the shame. That means it was, it was little to him. It meant the shame meant little to him. And he did that for the joy that was set before him, in spite of all of that. The psalmist says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. The ultimate secret to happiness is to live according to the principles that are found in God's Word. The happy man is happy because the Word of God rules his way or the course or the path of his life. The Word of God not only rules in his way, but also in his walk. And we see that the second part of verse 1, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. You know, we all once learned how to walk. We watch little babies. And we can see that even babies pretty much instinctively know that laying on your back or being stuck on your tummy is not the way that they were meant to stay. <laughs> right? We're made to stand up. We're made to walk. And that doesn't happen easily for a baby. It takes a process. And you know, we watch that process from those of us who are parents. We remember our little children, and maybe you uh, just observe and watch the process for a baby. They, they can't do much when they're first born, but man, they sure can wave their arms and kick their legs. They're doing all this stuff all the time, laying flat on their back, kicking their ar or legs and waving their arms, and then pretty soon they get a little bit stronger and they roll over and maybe maybe they're struggling to try to push themselves up and they're struggling to hold their their neck up and they get a little bit stronger and they're able to do that and before you know it they're kind of sitting and they're starting to maybe crawl a little bit and experience that or maybe drag themselves across the floor and it doesn't take much after that and you see that they they start to try to hold on to things and they want to start to pull themselves up and they start to stand and they can stand as long as they're holding on to something. But as soon as they let go, whoop, boom, down they go, right? But then they pull themselves up again and they're kind of moving along the furniture, holding on and they're walking along and then they, they, they try to let go and maybe take a step and down they go and squash all the contents of their diaper. But then they pull themselves up again, even though they fall down. And pretty soon, they're off and running. They're walking. But so it is with us in God's Word. When we first begin to read it, we first begin to study it, we try to obey it, 
we'll often fall. And we'll not be perfect at that. We'll pick ourselves up and we'll go on and guess what? We're going to stumble again. And down we go because we're still on wobbly legs. We pick ourselves up with God, by God's grace and God's forgiveness and we try again. And soon, we're growing and walking in the law of the Lord and we're making progress, moving forward, but as we begin to obey the Word of God. You know, you look at the progress of Christian growth, those who've newly been saved, and you look back, what were you a year ago? What were you two years ago? Three years ago, and you look at the person, you look at their life now, and you're like, man, they've made some progress in their Christian life. They've grown. And they've grown because they're applying more and more obedience to the truth of God in their life. And we grow in grace and we increase in the knowledge of Jesus Christ as we walk the path of life. What does that mean? As we walk the path of life and we grow in grace. Listen, it's, it's like this. It's aligning ourselves more and more to truth that is found here in this book. So when the law of God is given, and maybe it comes through a preaching service, and the passage is opened up, and the passage is explained, and we're listening to the Word of God, and we're realizing, you know, that doesn't really exist in my life right now, or man, that's something that's really a problem, or I didn't really want to see that, but the Spirit of God is convicting me over this, that there's something that needs to change about my attitude regarding this or that. Or there's a character flaw in my life that's being exposed from the Word of God, and I start to see that, and it's like I feel that conviction from the Spirit of God, and I say, you know what, you're right, Lord. I agree with you about this thing in my life, and I want to align myself with what you say a Christian ought to be. I need your help, Lord, to be obedient to this truth. And the humble heart says, to the Word of God that's been a mirror to show me what manner of man I am or have been. The humble heart says, Lord, I'm sorry about that. I see that now. I don't want to be that. And so I'm asking, Lord, for your help to help me to be obedient to the truth of your Word. See, over time, we start aligning more and more of our life with the truth of God. And there are times in life we don't, want to, we don't want to submit to that. I don't want to give this up in my life. I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. My flesh craves it. My flesh wants to hold on to it. My flesh wants to be this way. And, you know, I'm justified. I'm right in my pride. You're wrong, etc., etc. When I need to apply even principles that I already know from the Word of God. And I could be very specific right now. I could be very specific. I could touch on some things that will be right where you live. But I live there too. 
But let the Spirit of God make those applications tonight. The point is, we need to be walking in the law of the Lord. That means, that means aligning more and more with God's truth in my life. Have you ever experienced the joy that comes over the soul when you're walking the path of life and you come to maybe a decision that you've got to make? Or maybe it's a crossroads. And I'm not exactly sure what the answer is. I don't have that plane in front of me but I've got to make a decision or I've got to choose which way I'm going to go. And so what I do is I turn to the Word of God for guidance with a determination in my heart that I want to obey the Lord. And I say, okay, Lord, you speak to me through your Word and through your Spirit and show me the direction I should go or give me an answer to this solution. And when you search the Scriptures and the Spirit of God opens up our understanding, maybe there's a principle, maybe there's a promise that I need, maybe there's a precept, a direct command of God that I don't know, but God has something for me and I know I can find it in His Word. And so I go to the Word of God and I find that principle or I find that promise that I need, and I take the step based upon God's truth, and then all of a sudden, down the road, I find that the Word of God guided me. Maybe He guided, maybe it guided me past a snare. That would really trip me up. Or, or the Word of God led me in a right decision, even though I couldn't see it down the way. But I look back and I say, I can point right to where the Lord showed me what the answer was. You ever experienced that joy? The joy that comes over the soul when God's word has truly been a lamp to my feet and a light to my path of where, how I should go. I wonder how many Christian people never really even know what I'm talking about. You're saved, but... Man, you're not living according to the walking in the law of the Lord. You just kind of make decisions on the fly or make decisions based on our own understanding and we weigh out the pros and the cons and we make decisions based on those things rather than, Lord, you've got an answer for me. I want to walk in the law of the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes Christian people don't know anything of that. And yet it's here for our benefit. And when we find that principle or we find that promise and we find that the Word of God did direct our steps, what I'm saying is, man, there is peace and there is happiness that comes into the life to truly see that God's Word is real, that it can direct my steps. He is happy. A happy man who lets the Word of God rule and walks in the law of the Lord. Now look at verses 2 and 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Because not only do we see that he's happy because the Word of God rules in his way and in his walk, but thirdly, in his will. 
Verse 2, blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. The psalmist sees two things that happen when we bring our will into the captivity of the word of God. The will of man is such that it's got to be brought into captivity to something or our own will is going to rule the day. Would you agree with that? (laughs) Your will wants to rule the day. But happy is the man who has his will enslaved by the word of God. Verse 2 tells us that he has purpose in his life. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. You say, well, how does that relate to purpose of life? Listen, we were created for the glory of God. That's why you and I were created. Our purpose in life is to bring glory to God. And the psalmist says, the one that seeks him with the whole heart. And he talks about keeping his testimonies. That phrase, keeping, or keep his testimonies, it, it, it simply means to attest, but it carries the thought that God is the one who has solemnly declared his will on matters of faith and morals in this life. Okay? And he, and he says, happy is the man, or blessed is the man that keeps his testimonies, that, that God has declared, God has declared his will in things, and so it's, now it's on me then to submit my way to the will of God. And that seeks him with the whole heart. Everybody's seeking something in life. Some are seeking promotions. Some are seeking after a mate. Some are seeking for approval from men. But happy is the man that is seeking after the Lord with all of his heart. It means that I'm seeking after God's approval. A person who will subject his own will to the Word of God and will align himself with, thus saith the Lord, is the one who is actually seeking after God. It's not just words that we say. We say, I love God. We say, I want to obey the Lord. We say, I want to seek after God. It's not words that we say. It's the one who is actually aligning himself with, thus saith the Lord. That is the man who is seeking after the Lord's approval. And the greatest purpose that you and I could ever have in life is simply this. Lord, whatever it is that you want from me, that's what what I want to do. Whatever your will is, that's what I want to do. And how do we find the will of God? Well, right here, through this book. Verse 3 says, Not only does he have purpose in life, but he also has purity of life. Verse 3 says, They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You know what I think of Jesus himself? Jesus walked through life seeking wholeheartedly after God, the Father. And Jesus did no iniquity in word or deed. And actually, the Word of God ruled in Jesus' life. The Word of God ruled every thought and every deed was subject to the will of God. 
Hebrews 10, 7 says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the books it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus said in John 4 and verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 30, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Over and over again. And Jesus lived it out. That I want to do, and I came to do the will of God. He lived it out when he was in agony in the garden, and he said, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. When Satan came and tempted him, you remember that? What did Jesus do? He simply referred him to the Word of God. Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. He pointed to the Word of God. What I'm saying is the Word of God ruled in Jesus' life. His own life was ruled by the Word of God, and Jesus was pure. But you know what the Bible says the same for you and me? Verse 9 of Psalm 119, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God and aligning with it and living by it is what will keep you pure. Amen? Oh, we already know that. Do we really know it? Or is those words that we say? Because if we live by it, then we know it. Amen? We're going to close here, but next time we're going to see that a life ruled by God's Word will make us holy in our desires and our decisions it's also going to bring humility into our life. and It'll cause us to understand that we've not arrived yet. We're still learning. You know what? You might have been saved for 50 years. You've not arrived yet. I might have been a preacher for 20 plus years or more. I've not arrived yet. And the Word of God and living by it is going to bring some humility in our life to teach us that we're still learning. In the meantime, let me ask you this question as I close here. How much is God's Word a part of your life? Are you listening? Are you examining your daily life right now? How much is God's Word a part of your life? On Sunday and on Wednesday, since we're here? Do you look to it for answers in your daily life? Is the Word of God actually guiding you? Do you read it? Do you depend on it? It's not about just reading some verses every day. You know, I can be really disciplined in my life I can be really disciplined every day, and I can discipline myself to read X number of verses in the Bible. 
and it does nothing for me. I read my verses, though. How much is God's Word affecting your life? Impacting your life? Is it guiding you? And listen, if it is, then we're not going to stay the same. We're going to come across problems in life. We're going to come across distresses. We'll come across some hard things with other people, etc., etc. But if the Word of God is guiding me and I'm dependent on it and it's effective in my life, I am not going to stay the same. I can't. Paul told the Thessalonian believers that his prayer for them was that they walk worthy of the Lord. Because the Lord had called them into His kingdom and glory. And then the very next thing that Paul says in regards to them walking worthy of the Lord because God has called you into His kingdom and glory, the very next thing is He thanks the Lord because they had received the word of God, not as the words of men, but as it is in truth. And he says the word of God effectually works in you that believe. What that means is it's powerful. It's the Greek word energeo. It means that it has action to it. And when that word is used in the New Testament, it's always referring to supernatural action. It's God's supernatural action. And so Paul says the word of God is supernatural and it effectually energizes or works in you that believe. And so the word of God, by the power of God, is supernaturally performing something in you and me. If we are aligning with it, we cannot stay the same. Do you understand that? So how is it then that people get all disgruntled and they get a burr under their saddle and they've got gripes and they've got complaints and they've got all of these things that just affect their life and you see them starting to take a path that's not upward and onward it's not closer to the Lord and closer to God's people. It's not more in love with the things of God. It's the opposite direction. How does that happen? What's going on? Well, one thing that is for sure that's going on is they are not aligning and living in this book. Because you cannot stay the same. So let me just ask you the question. How much is God's word a part of your life? Do you look to it? Is it guiding you? Are you seeking after the Lord with all of your heart by saying, Lord, I want to align more and more with your word? And you know what? That is where real happiness for the Christian is found. When I'm simply living by the law of the Lord, I'm being obedient to God's word. And it's transforming and changing my life. I think that's pretty profound. And when I'm facing things in life and I'm not happy, I'm not feeling happy about things in life, what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? I'm not going to the right source. Right? So let's think on it. Let's chew on it. Amen? And prayerfully, we'll be able to 
find that God's Word is so good, and even through this study, fall more in love with the Word of God like the psalmist was, and it becomes easy to obey God in His truth. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you just use your Word tonight. Use it in our life daily, and I just pray that there would be some heart examination and Lord, some, even some humility. How much does the Word of God impact and affect my life? How important is it? Lord, I pray that You'd help us as God's people to fall in love with Your truth and love Your Word like the psalmist did. And Lord, I pray that it would have a powerful impact and effect in God's people. In Jesus' name, amen.